It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. Well, g'day and welcome once again to the Two Jacks, uh, where we take you to all matters Australian and then uh, take you all the way around the world to see what's going on. And joining me as usual is Hong Kong Jack in Hong Kong, funnily enough. How are you going, mate? Good, mate. Good. Uh, listen, I, I bumped into an American mate who just arrived back from Saigon uh, uh, yesterday and he said, uh, Anzac Day tomorrow, isn't it? I said, yeah. He says, do we say happy Anzac Day? Um, and I, I got a few happy Anzac days today. Um, it's not quite right, is it? No. I, I said, I said you, you blokes don't say happy Memorial Day, do you? No. And he says, no, no, we tend to have a barbecue and a few drinks, but we don't say, you know. We also do get... Uh, uh, the the uh, loathsome Happy Wednesday, you know, when there's a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, Happy Friday, Happy oh, Saturday. Um, so it's a bit, <laughs> it's, it's, I sort of draw the line at that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, it's it's like when you walk into a store in, in America and you feel like turning around saying, I'll have whatever kind of day I want. Thank you very much. You know? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> have a nice day. Uh, all right. Now, le- now, leading us off today is the Strategic Defence Review uh, released yesterday on the eve of Anzac Day. It was uh, a review called for by the Albanese government after its election about six months ago. Uh, and the review was authored by the former Minister for Defence, uh, His Excellency, Professor the Honourable Stephen Smith and former Chief of the Defence Force Angus Houston, so a former Labor guy there. And the, uh, the excellency bit becomes he's he's now High Commissioner to the Court of St James, is he not? Is he? I did not know that. That's the plum job, isn't it? That's the best one. Mm, just uh, ask Alex Downer. I did see on uh, Instagram yesterday that uh, Kevin and his uh, well, Kevin Rudd and his wife uh, were trundling off to uh, to the White House yesterday. Um, so they're in place too, but but the strategic defence review, Jack has found our uh, defence wanting uh, that it lacks uh, modernisation, uh, and according to the defence minister Richard Miles, uh, the review found Australia's defence force was, in his own words, not fit for purpose, and he said we aim to change the calculus. Ooh, that's a nice little political term. We aim to change the calculus so no potential aggressor, aggressor, I should say, can ever conclude that the benefits of conflict outweigh the risks. Tell me, what does this document mean to you, Jack? Have you had a good look at it? I've had a bit of a glance through it. Um, uh, to me, it's a political document. A new government, um, uh, and I think the new Labor government wanted to say, well, this is our approach to strategic and defence issues. So they wanted this document to be able to um, be the foundation for that. It's not a, it's, It doesn't seem to me to be about specific military planning. It just wants to show, change the directions, change the direction, change the strategy slightly. Well, in a changing strategic field, Jack, particularly in our region, and, and, and the document itself outlines some of the issues there, that the United States is no longer the unipolar leader of the Indo-Pacific. Um, China-US competition is the defining feature of our region and our time. 
China's activities in the South China Sea threatens the global rules-based order in the Indo-Pacific. I'm quoting there from the document. And China's military build-up is the largest and most ambitious of any country since the end of the Second World War. Um, <clears throat> it also says, and this is particularly uh, intriguing to me, um, uh, the threat of the use of military force or coercion against Australia does not require invasion. So these are the principles on which this review was formed. Yeah, that last bit um, ought to have been common sense to everybody for about 20 years, but it doesn't seem to be for some, for some people. There's a number of things. I noticed the media was talking about, in, in terms of trying to, um, you know, and I'm talking about television media, in, in terms of trying to abbreviate this into a two-minute story, uh, they've gone, Australia is not fit, and Australia's military is not fit for the for the missile age. Um, and uh, uh, <coughs> when, uh, when we think about that, Jack, that would mean that Australia would need, and I went through the document, uh, poured through it looking for it, but that would mean um, uh, the capacity to strike deep within uh, deep within a foe from some distance away, and that takes us into ICBM territory, and certainly we do not have that capability at the moment, but it seems uh, that that is what is required without actually mentioning it. Yeah, I don't think that they're serious about getting ICBMs, and, and, and nor should they. Well, it'd be extremely difficult to buy them off the shelf, Jack, mm. uh, because in order to do so, you would be conceding um, a missile technology in uh, uh, certainly what you lack and and what the vendor uh, also has as their capability. Um, <clears throat> so it's not as if you can just... Uh, uh, Dip down to Bunnings. <laughs> to the French version of Bunnings and say, give us a couple of ICBMs, please. Mm. Uh, you can't really do that. But that is the sort of strategic emphasis that this document is, is, is mm. making. The other thing that really surprised me, well, it didn't surprise me, but, but it surprises me that the ADF has had no capability, really, uh, <clears throat> in what we call disruption. And these are things that are relatively cheap. It doesn't involve you dropping $60 billion on submarines. It actually requires you uh, having people with the technological know-how to disrupt communications and software from a potential foe. Why yeah, haven't we been um, putting our money into that, Jack? It means you um, um, stick a bunch of nerdy Game Boys um, uh, who like playing with computers in a room. Um, uh, and get them working on it. You actually need those for other things too. In, in the US, I know they're the people who drive the drones. You want someone who spends all day playing Game Boy to drive your drones. Yeah, is, there's, a, there's a career pathway there. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it's disturbing that the ADF, um, <coughs> well, not the ADF, the Department of Defence and Defence Procurement has not given this any sort of emphasis whatsoever. It is a major form of warfare these days, uh, and even in peacetime uh, can have uh, profound abilities. And, um, uh, you know, the ability to knock out power grids, the the ability to knock out traffic systems, these sorts of things in foreign yeah. countries as a form of deterrence to, to virtually yeah. say we can reach into your country and, uh, and, and cause all sorts of problems. Um, it's been played out on the ground in Ukraine now. It's one of the advantages the um, I think the Ukrainians have. They have access to 
um, to Western disruption techniques, which are proving better than the Russian ones. Yes, indeed. And uh, we're looking at the, the, the Russians are trying to strike at, and it's not clear whether it's um, uh, via sort of satellite strikes, um, but to take out the uh, the star system, the uh, the, the system that uh, the internet system that was uh, introduced by um, <coughs> Elon Musk, um, yeah. uh, and uh, they're trying to uh, diminish that, uh, diminish that, so and, and take away that ability uh, from the Ukrainians and, and their ability to communicate. It is one of those things that it's a glaring error in in the Department of Defence not to. Uh, uh, not to address this situation and, and, and until they'll be feeling out. pretty comfortable about it because it's just one more in a long list of mistakes defence procurements made in Australia. Wow. I mean, there is there is really no um, a government agency that oversees the waste of so much money than than defence procurement. It, you know, and and it's almost like it needs to be corporatised, Jack. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what the answer is, but I mean, it's a difficult thing all around the world, defence procurement, um, uh, but it's rife with grift um, uh, and Australia is no exception and they've been particularly poor at a lot of their defence procurement. Mm, indeed. Um, and and our, our military itself seems to have focused on things like um, uh, land-based um, uh, <coughs> Uh, land-based uh, like tanks, um, uh, that that sort of things, you know, the, the the bush ranger and all that sort of stuff. It, it might be uh, very handy if you're defending yourself against an invasion, but that, as the document says, is not likely to occur. Or indeed, you know, sort of um, coercion can occur without any attempt to invade. So we've we've sort of lost focus, haven't we? Well, I think you still need the land-based um, capability. One of the reasons why invasion won't happen is because it would be a difficult process to do. Um, and, and the way you make that a difficult process is to have the right gear and be able to use it. But, yeah, I, I think it's a sensible enough document. Um, I don't think it's a huge game-changer. It's a, um, a, a, an attempt by the Labor, Labor government to say, this is what we're about. Um, uh, yes, we're very much hooked into the American alliance, um, uh, but we see that we've got to play a regional role as well. And I think all that's sensible enough. All of that is very sensible. And probably the most sensible thing in terms of uh, strategy is to nurture relationships uh, within the region. Um, yeah. and, uh, and and so that involves Indonesia, countries as far as way, far away as India. And those, th those things seem to be ongoing at the moment. Um, yeah, and, and and none of this means you can't have a good relationship with China at the same time. I'm absolutely right, and and I think the one probably the I, I would I would argue one of the great things the Labor government has done already is to normalise that relationship. Um, uh, to the to the point now where the uh, the export bans have been largely lifted to to the point where there's at least a dialogue going on. You may not you may not have to fall in love with one another, um, but you don't have to be you know suggesting as Peter Dutton and Scott Morrison did last year that we were on the verge of being invaded. Mm. That was nasty yeah. stuff and really really damaging. I don't think, quite frankly, Peter Dutton will ever recover from that comment. 
Mm. And that was made on uh, Anzac Day of 2022, Jack. Prepare for invasion. Prepare, sorry, no, prepare for war, was what Peter Dutton was saying, who was the uh, Defence Minister at the time. An extraordinary thing to say. Um, uh, yeah, look, is that... Uh, so, so basically, we're, we're not going to be shopping for ICBMs, but we are looking for that ability to bloody the nose, Jack, if that's the right metaphor. Of anyone yeah, to, who uh, who might be hostile towards us, to to project some power, the ability to strike hard mm. and, f- and and the first strike is actually a deterrence. So the 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 capability you could talk about through the through the joint strike fighters, um, uh, or, or missile technology or whatever it is, having that capability to strike first is in itself the deterrent. Indeed. All right. Now, The Voice, Jack, um, uh, we've, uh, we'll be focusing on this pretty much every week. Um, tell me about the Solicitor General's opinion. Um, uh, it wasn't it was, a written opinion so, so as much as it was a uh, Attorney General's, um, shall we say, precy of it. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, released as um, one of the now, I think there are now 133 submissions to the Select Committee. Um, I've read most of them, um, and it's it's not what um, the the commentators and the opposition were asking for. They were asking for the advice that the Solicitor General gave to Cabinet on this proposal when it first went up. This is an opinion on the end process, and that's quite different. But that you know, that's I understand that, but but quite seriously, it's not the Albanese government's going to say, "Well, you can, we'll, we'll give you all our cabinet documents." That, that's an that's an absurd yeah, position, yeah. isn't it? Well, we will in twenty years' time. Yeah, yeah. thirty. Oh, now it's twenty now, isn't it? Yeah, it's twenty years' time now, mm. um, or twenty or twenty-five. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, at any event, um, so so that's what it is. Um, uh, it's important, but no more important than a whole list of other. Um, uh, opinions that are in that 133. Not all of them are worth reading, but um, there are you know, distinguished lawyers of various stripes making um, various points about this. Uh, the most glaring thing when you read through a range of those uh, submissions to the Select Committee is that there is a great deal of difference of opinion as to what the proposal actually means. Um, and, and as I've been saying all along, I think that's pretty fatal to the to the referendum. Well, the Solicitor General's opinion, as published by the Office of the, Office of the Attorney General, um, is basically saying it's, it's poo-pooing this idea of uh, perpetual litigation to the High Court. Uh, it's poo-pooing this idea of uh, uh, the, the, the constitutionality of of, uh, of uh, the voice advising the executive. It's essentially, it essentially defeats a lot of the perhaps overthinking on, on the part of the no proposition. Oh, see, see I don't think it does. It, it offers a contrary view, but it doesn't defeat it. Um, Ian Callanan's submission was right about this. I don't agree with Ian Callanan's suggestions, but he was right about this. Um, there's a great deal of, what does he call it? Um, uh, uh, there's a great deal of uh, constitutional uncertainty, of, of uncertainty when you're testing constitutional um, uh, issues in the High Court. And he goes back to the case of Love v. the Commonwealth. That was the case that 
touched on uh, the question of Aboriginality, amongst other things. These were the um, people of Aboriginal descent, but who weren't born in Australia and therefore weren't Australian citizens. And and the question was whether they were covered by other legislation as Aboriginals. Um, Callanan makes the excellent point that the Solicitor General, I think it was the current Solicitor General, argued um, uh, one way in the uh, in the case and was on the, was on the losing team. Um, and as he points out, the, pe- the, the the judges on the it was a four three decision. The three judges on the dissenting uh, side were um, uh, Kaifel, Chief Justice, a Supreme Federal and High Court judge in more than twenty five years' experience, Keane a former Solicitor General of Queensland, Court of Appeal Judge, Chief Justice of the Federal Court, um, and Gagler, a former Solicitor General of the Commonwealth. Now, they all had a different view to the majority. And his point is that just because one distinguished lawyer says something, it doesn't mean it's true. It doesn't mean it's an accurate prediction. No, I think we understood that. I think we understand that. And Ian Callan's background is well known as a sort of conservative high court justice, a novelist, a racy novelist. Um, but, um, uh, but at the same time, the Solicitor General's uh, advice is significant. I saw, uh, I don't know if you watched this, Jack, but Peter Dutton was interviewed on The Insiders and uh, <coughs> uh, by, uh, by Spearsy and... Uh, and uh, he tried to keep selling this idea that the Solicitor General had said one thing, um, but uh, Spears actually had to interrupt and say, no, 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 that's not what he's saying. That's not what he said. Uh, and uh, we have to be honest with our viewers. It was quite a, it was quite a moment for Peter Dutton and he explains probably why he doesn't turn up on the insiders all that often. But there he was. Now, one thing I will say about this, Jack, before we get to some polling, is that you sort of made the point that Dutton's input would be not greatly significant, but it seems that he is playing a very significant role in the opposition, um, well, in the, in the no proposition, and I suspect that is poison for the no for the no proposition in every state, perhaps uh, with the exception of Queensland. Yeah, I, I just don't agree with that assessment. Um, you know, the 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 voice, the, the yes votes um, uh, trending down, um, and um, uh, at the same time as Dutton's uh, approval ratings in the toilet, uh, I don't think he's really significant in this at all. It's not just not going to be decided by party politics. Well, I, 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 I'm I'm not sure that I agree with that. I, I say every time that Peter Dutton makes tries to makes makes a point, I mean his approval ratings are terrible, and every time he tries to make a point in the broader in the in, in, in the in the broader community in the to the nation, I think that's a bad moment for the no proposition. That's my view. Um, <clears throat> but look, let's look at that polling now, Jack. There was a Roy Morgan poll, <clears throat> which has. Uh, Victoria, yes, 52%, down 3%. Uh, the no's are up 3%, at 31%, undecided 17 New South Wales, uh, yes, 46 down 6 uh, No, 38 up 9 undecided 16 down 3%. Uh, Western Australia, yes, 46 down, uh, 46% down 17%. No, 41 up 15 undecided 13 up 2 Tasmania, yes. 38% down 30%. Uh, no's 33% up 
nine. Undecideds, 29 up 21. Queensland, yes, 41% down, 3% no's, 46 up 8, undecided 13. South Australia, yes, 39, down 15%. Uh, no at 50%, up 17, undecided 11%, down 2. Um, that was an SMS poll. We'll talk about the differences a little bit later, but also published in The Guardian last week was the Essential Poll, uh, and that has a nationwide 60, 60 yes, 40%, no, there is, I would say, a softening on this compared to it's been uh, polled every month, but I'm just going to compare the March to April figure. The hard yes was 32, uh, the soft yes, 27, uh, and uh, the hard uh, or the soft no is 14 and the hard no is 26. That's compared to 38 hard yes uh, and 26 soft yes, so 64%. Uh, uh, and uh, the hard, uh, the, the soft no at fourteen has stayed, and uh, and and the hard no is twenty one. So that's so what we've seen is a hardening of that yes of that no proposition, and a softening of the hard yes proposition. Um, again, we just want to talk about the difference in polling methodology, Jack. Morgan is an SMS poll. They do a lot of face-to-face polling, so I wanted to check whether this is a face-to-face poll, but it wasn't. It's, a, it's an SMS poll. They, they claimed it was done um, uh, kind, of, kind of suddenly. I'll tell you the difficulty with SMS polling is that it's annoying, uh, and, and they get a lot of people who don't respond. Um, essential, it is a net-based poll. Uh, and they've got a collection of people that they've gathered over the years that they have determined are not, shall we say, party hacks or rusted on people for the Liberal Party or One Nation or Labor or anybody else, and they've got a group of about 1,200 people that they ask particular questions to. As to who's right or wrong, I can only tell you that um, in terms of record, Essential Poll gets a little bit closer to things than Morgan does. Um, I'm a news poll man because I know the pollster and I know that they've made adjustments and, and uh, they in turn have been um, uh, they in turn have been um, uh, pretty pretty much spot on since the changes they made. Uh, <coughs> Um, so yeah, uh, we I actually think the trend, trend is more important than the raw numbers at, at this stage anyway. <clears throat> yeah, we're still with 60-40 on essential and, and the news polls pretty much around the same spot. But there are a lot of don't knows and the point that the, the Morgan poll, can you please stop doing that, please? Um, sorry, that's not you, Jack. Uh, that's someone in the background. Um, sorry, <clears throat> the, the point that Morgan makes, the Morgan pollsters make, is that if you have a don't know, a significant don't know numbers, that that they are less likely to vote yes than they are no, as they as we go by, and that's sort of intrinsic. I don't understand it, so I'm going to vote no, and that's the problem for the yes proposition. And particularly in light of what's happening at the select committee, because of 133 um, submissions, most of them are pro yes, but of the distinguished lawyers amongst them, there are a variety of opinions and there will be uncertainty as to what this proposition means. And that will bump up the no vote rather than the yes vote. 
as as you put it so well a few weeks ago, if you don't know, vote no. Well, <clears throat> no, no, I didn't say that. I, I said that that was going to be the focus of the no proposition. And that's a oh, lazy... Sorry, I, wasn't, I wasn't trying to verbal you, but you, but you, you, you put it in a nice pithy, pithy phrase. Yeah, but that's a lazy proposition, isn't it? Because if you don't know on the 25th of April what the voice is about, you should go and find out. Um, <clears throat> well, 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 what I'm saying is if you look at the submissions in the select committee, um, it's not possible to know because what you were saying is we think the High Court will go a certain way and that's a fraught exercise to say I think I know how the High Court will go. Not even Solicitor Generals always get that right. Not even distinguished lawyers always get that right. Yeah, I could pick a lot of holes in that argument. I mean, basically, what, what you what you've got here is, and and the advice is substantially. I mean, Dutton's still running around saying take out the ability of the voice uh, to advise uh, to advise the executive, and all will be well in the garden and. We'll be able to move on with bipartisan support and all that sort of stuff. And the, but the proposition is, if you don't, if the voice doesn't advise the executive, then it's basically has no role. Then it basically has no role at all. It will be it will be advising the parliament on legislation that's already written, and that's that's the problem. That's the problem with that argument. I mean, as to the constitutionality, I would bow to people like Callanan as much as I would the Solicitor General. Uh, as much as I would to uh, uh, to to some of the eminent KCs around the country, but the, the the problem is if the voice doesn't address the executive, advise the executive, then it may as well not exist. Yeah, that's and that's an argument that needs to be had. What I'm saying is that there is enough constitutional legal uncertainty um, in that select committee report. I think. To um, to fatally wound the yes vote. All right. Now there was a little bit of polling, and as, as uh, reluctant as I am to uh, stick the boot into Peter Dutton, uh, we do need to do that. Uh, and it is fun, Jack. It is fun. Um, uh, the essential poll uh, uh, released around the Voice also had uh, approval ratings for uh, our Prime Minister Anthony Albanese, who is plus fifteen. And Dutton is negative sixteen, but there's a YouGov poll that has Dutton in the dead zone, and and that's just uh, that's kind of unsustainable. And if there really was anyone else within the Liberal Party, he would have been given the flick a long time ago. There is no, no, voices. Nobody else wants the job. Yeah, nobody um, else wants it because it's a losing job. And nobody else has got his capacity to do the job. It's an awful job. It's going to be a career-ending job for him. But um, uh, credit to him in this regard, he's fronting up bravely and having a crack. Well, that's what I mean. And, and, and fair enough, you can admire his political courage from afar. But what I'm saying is every time he opens his mouth is a bad moment uh, for the Liberal Party and in indeed opposition to the voice because I, I, I'm he sure is you're right about very, that, that, very unpopular at the moment. He's, this he's, is an awful job, but someone's going to have to do it. Well, going back to 2007 when it looked like... Um, when it looked like, well, Brendan Nelson was uh, was the leader of the opposition. Briefly, we refer to it jokingly as the um, as the uh, Nelson months, uh, and then he was stalked by uh, Malcolm Turnbull, and, and Turnbull uh, took the leadership. And there was a bit of a boost to the party, but there is no one there of that ilk 
uh, in the party room at the moment. And uh, it's uh, anyone who, well, we saw Karen Andrews uh, uh, announce her retirement. Jack, she was one who was mooted as a potential opposition leader, but she's... Uh, She's walking. She's made it a little bit clear that she won't be talking about the voice, yes or no. She's just uh, she's just uh, taking the uh, taking the uh, proposition that uh, that uh, don't ask, don't tell. Um, but uh, she's on the way out the door, and and really, after that, you think, well, Angus Taylor. I mean, who, who else have they got? I mean, Ang- Angus Taylor would be a disaster. The current Treasury opposition spokesman, Jack, and that uh, brings us on to the banks and the government go green together. Uh, the big banks are backing the federal government's plan to accelerate the greening of the economy, including the introduction of sovereign green bonds, consistent clean energy standards and home ratings and measures to clamp down on false claims. It's a good thing, isn't it, Jack? It looks a lot like a, a great five-year plan from uh, from 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 Stalin. It looks like central planning to oh, me. It's a, that's a bit much, isn't it? I mean, these are actually good things, particularly the false claim stuff, right? But with companies running around saying we we are uh, we are, we we will introduce things that will uh, reduce uh, carbon emissions, this sort of stuff, without having any substantial basis. Uh, on which to make those claims. I think that's a very, very good thing. Um, sovereign green bonds, sovereign Jack. That's the that's the critical that's the critical phrase there, isn't it? Has the support of the government, uh, and uh, investors can get involved in it. I mean, these things seem just to be uh, pretty normal to me. Um, if you are looking at greening your economy, uh, you need the financial tools to make that happen. Um. The, the bit that amused me was uh, from, I think, the chap from uh, the NAB who said it's critical to ensure we have credible and consistent labels for what is green. And I think that's okay, but who gets to decide what is green? Well, if you've got proper oversight and, and, and an ability to cl- clamp down on false claims, I think that gets you a long way there. I mean, you know, you will find that there are companies around, unsurprisingly, who will claim to be green who aren't, Jack. And I think that's a, that, that really goes a long way to uh, giving people a bit a of confidence of in their false, investment. There are a lot of false claims in this space. Well, yeah, uh, but if you do need an oversight body to, to determine what is right and what isn't. Uh, and if people are claiming that they will, you know, that their goods or products uh, or services will re- will will reduce emissions, and they don't actually, then I think it's it's it's, it's important to call that out. Yeah, well, we could have the Green Society. We're not going to dig up coal anymore, and what does that do to steel production? That's, all not, that's not what's being discussed here, and and <clears throat> that's not what's being discussed here. This is basically the issue of sovereign green bonds, right? Sovereign green bonds, no, so that has the backing of government. Well, no, I think it goes further than that. It's about um, the government and the banks getting together to decide where Australian investment should go. But that's basically going with trend, Jack. That's 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 the issue. You know that that that's the issue. I mean, if you, I, I don't know how many how many how many banks are, are in support of uh, are in support of coal mining, Jack, and they make those decisions on hard nosed bases. And not just because they'd be unpopular, you know. The uh, the Adani mine in Queensland, for example, could not get finance in this country, and that wasn't a political move. 
that was them looking at this mine and going, we can't see it making a dollar. We can't mm. see their projections on income and revenue. Uh, <clears throat> we can't see them. Uh, we can't. We can't support them on that basis. I mean, banks aren't banks aren't sitting around singing um, uh, "Kumbaya Jack." I mean, that's that's kind of ridiculous stuff to suggest that they are. They they, they are making hard nosed investment decisions on where the money's going and where the profit lies. Or well, I think that's that used to be the case. I'm not so sure it is now. Oh, well, mate. I mean, what are you saying? That banks, banks, banks are in the business of sort of socialism. I mean, it it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. These are even the that- large, even the large investment funds are quite a lot of those are wedded to this idea of getting a a a tick on their ESG rating, um, and that's very bad for, for for the economy, in my view, and very bad for business. Well, it's not bad for investors, Jack, is it? Because now well, it is bad ANZ. for investors because well, ESG well, well, point, fund, to, point well. to me where their profits are down, Jack. Point to me where their profits are down. ESG investments are not good investments at the moment. No, no, no. I'm just saying, just a big four. Just a big four. Are their profits down? Yes or no? Banks. I'm taking a much wider view of this situation than just four Australian banks. Well, this is you're quoted from National Australia Bank. So are their profits down? Yes or no? I'm quoting one person from National Australia Bank. All right, Queensland. How are they going to go? How's Labor going to go in twenty twenty four? Well, they're there a chance. They're they're down forty nine fifty one on a on a nine year gov poll. Um, oh no, I think that might be uh, a news corp poll. You uh, gov uh, through uh, no, it's you gov. I think. Sorry, it's a you gov poll. I think. Yeah, I think you gov are doing work for uh, Courier Mail, uh, <clears throat> but um, uh, next election's not due until. Well, it's October next away. year. Yeah, eighteen months away. It's the next biggest one. The, 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 there are three elections due in twenty twenty four. Two, of the, both of the territories are going. I think in the latter part of uh, I do know the latter part of twenty twenty four, and and the big one is Queensland. I would suggest Jack on that polling to be down just by just two points. While they haven't been going all that well, is is not a bad sign at all. Um, yeah, it's a toss up. Yeah, it seems like that. There was a there was a report actually commissioned by the LNP into their performance in the twenty twenty two federal election, and it seemed to be everything's going beautifully. Fortress Queensland is uh, is. Uh, is is the the last stand of the of the coalition or the LMP uh, and a number of uh, uh, coalition or LMP uh, people came forward to say that it was uh, uh, ostrich type behaviour that they had lost uh, city seats um, and uh, and uh, really I've had a good look at their polling so if you for example. If you, if, if you, for example, look at where we are now with the current polling nationwide, has Labor 3% better than they were at the election last year? So let's count Queensland out of the equation. Let's count the National Party out of the equation and then look at the Liberal-held seats, um, <coughs> of which there are 25, and then you put a 4% swing across those 25 seats and they lose 13 that's how vulnerable they are at the moment. That's not counting the so-called fortress Queensland, where things could 
things could get very messy very quickly there too. Um, <clears throat> as I say, the current polling has Labor ahead. We know it's a long way away to the next election. In uh, the current pol- polling has Liberals ahead, I think. Hey, the oh no, that's the Queensland poll. What yeah. I'm saying is, if you take the three percent swing Labor have added on federally, and then you run that across seats not in Queensland and not National Party seats held in the Eastern Seaboard uh, of Australia, then uh, of those twenty-five seats. A 4% swing, not three, but a 4% swing would see them lose 13 of their 25. And that's mm. the Dane, that's the, that's the, that's the, that's the problem they've got at the moment. And I, I, I suggest that the voice, yes or no, but certainly if the yes vote gets up, things are going to look even uglier for them. It might help them the, in Queensland. The, I don't the know. The Liberal Party federally is in as much trouble as the Labor Party was post 1975. Yeah, just don't buy this sort of circular stuff. I don't, I don't buy it. And, 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 and I, don't, I can point to you any point since uh, Federation and World War II where basically conservative governments just simply ran out of steam. And, and, and what I'm and, saying is this could be the case here for the Liberal Party. And Not for the National sim- Party, but the Liberal Party. And for similar reasons, because when the Labor government was turfed out in 1975, um, it was bereft of credibility, and that's exactly where the, the, the federal Liberals find themselves today. A win in Queensland would be very handy, um, as was having Neville Rand win in New South Wales for Labor yeah. back in the no, 70s. that's a fair point. That's um, a fair uh, point. And a, a win in Queensland would be tremendously important because it would give them some resources and a base from which to rebuild. Um, but um, it's, it's neck and neck, so too far out to call. Too far out to call. I'd say 51-49 with, with Labor two points behind at this stage and they're not travelling all that well. And they do have, uh, the Labor does have one of those things where you've got a number of ministers leaving, retiring and so forth. So, and, and they've been there a bit long. They have been there a bit long. But I'm just saying the 51-49 is not a bad result at this early stage. Mm-hmm. All right. It's, uh, he's been eulogised far and wide. Jack, um, uh, not just in Australia, but uh, across the world. Barry Humphreys uh, died uh, over the weekend. Uh, uh, a very, very funny man, Jack. I think we've all uh, had moments there where we, we think of just how funny he was. I, I was a huge fan of Celeste Patterson. Um, extremely funny with the uh, with the large lump in the trousers there wherever he went, uh, drunk as a monkey, uh, causing all sorts of consternation. And uh, the wonderful Dame Edna, of course, one of my favourite stories and it's one of my favourite bits is uh, where he was at uh, a Royal Command. Uh, Barry Humphreys was at a Royal Command performance and got into the... Uh, got into the regal box where Prince Charles and Camilla were and uh, sat down and Charles was looking a little awkward but laughing along. And then uh, Dame Edna got up and said, oh, excuse me, they found me a better seat, which is very, very funny. I mean, that's just that's just uh, Humphreys was extremely intelligent and extremely funny. And what yeah. I've enjoyed most about the eulogising of Barry is that, uh, is that uh, comics from... Um, from uh, old to new, have all come out and uh, and claim and, and and just claimed how good uh, he was. 
Yeah, I was um, come across a couple of his very old ones from the <clears throat> relatively early days before he made it in the UK and the US of being Dame Edna in Australia, um, and um, she was wonderfully catty um, uh, in the way she would yeah. attack members of the audience. Yeah. Um, um, uh, and there's a couple of beauties from a Melbourne uh, performance many years ago. She was making fun of the outfits that some of the uh, um, uh, people in the audience were wearing. Um, I'm trying to find a word to describe what you're wearing. Um, affordable um, uh, <laughs> was one. <laughs> and, uh, and, and she was confronted with a rather large woman wearing a, a voluminous silk frock. Uh, and her comment was, it's a lovely fabric. And you were lucky to find so much of it. <laughs> it was just a beautiful backhand. Uh, one of her shows, uh, one of her sort of chat shows, she hosted KD Lang, and um, and she did this big, big came off the long run, Dame Edna, and said, "Now we're going to speak frankly. Now we're going to we're going to put our cards on, as women. Uh, we're going to put our cards on the table, and we're going to be unashamed and." about what we say and what we do. And he, she, she turned to KD Lang and said, tell me, when did you first know, and just pause briefly, that you were a Canadian? Um, <laughs> and <laughs> just burst, burst, in, burst into laughter. Just wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, comic timing and, and the intelligence to pull it off. Great loss. Yeah. Great loss. Great loss. I like to comment from him himself when he was out of character, just being Barry Humphreys. Uh, I defend to the ultimate my right to give deep, deep and profound offence. Yeah, look, I feel I, I feel a comment, a column coming on because it was actually really encouraging that a lot of comics, uh, particularly from the left, and uh, actually came out and uh, and, uh, and congratulated. Uh, Barry Humphreys on what was a, a, an outstanding career. That they, there wasn't the dwelling on some of the things that he said that were deliberately controversial. Um, <clears throat> but um, it, it, there, there's there's a question of what all comics will have to reach a point where they where they draw their own lines. And and Barry Humphreys line was probably a fair bit further uh, further to the east or the west than than most but but in the end it's always about what is funny and that and that's and that's really a comics choice all the way um, I'll refer to in, the, in my column I'll refer to a, a wonderful documentary where a lot of Jewish comedians were assembled in the United States including the Godfather of them Mel Brooks and they were asked whether they would be able to crack jokes about the Holocaust. And uh, Mel Brooks said no, he didn't think that was possible, but there were elements of Nazism that he that he could mock and did mock, spent a whole life doing it. In fact, as a as a stand-up comic in the late 40s and early 50s in the Catskills, speaking to a largely Jew, uh, uh, Jewish audience, he would, you know, pop on the moustache and do an impersonation of Hitler. And it was you know, the people rolled in the aisles. So it's the, the the extremes of what comics can and can't do may have changed a fair bit, but I maintain what is funny is the way we all all, all comics have to address, all humorists have to address these things. Uh, yeah, understanding a- your audience, yes, but 
um, see, I lot of I see a lot of race based comedy, uh, um, and it's still around. I mean, you know, there, there are Irish comics who basically make their trade on it, um, and, uh, and 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 it doesn't seem to get to draw any particular offence. But there are other racial tensions that perhaps aren't explored. Uh, in comedy, yeah. the, the rule is there should be no rules, or in fact that the comic himself or herself sets the rules. Um, I've only got one rule about: is it funny? Um, yeah, that, that's Hunt, that's but- got to be the the main thing, the main thing. But you've also got to understand your audience. That's the other thing. Barry Humphreys was um, a, a bit of a darling of the progressives when. Um, in the pre-Les Patterson days when he was just doing Edna Everidge and Sandy Stone. And part of that was that the progressives of the 70s um, kind of looked down on suburban Australia, so they joined in the joke. Um, when he started to doing uh, um, uh, characters like Neil Singer and, um, uh, uh, and the, I can't remember the filmmaker's name, Neil Singer was the... Um, uh, the pro- progressive author, um, they didn't like him quite so much because he was uh, taking the mickey out of them. Um, but, look, he was just a great comic. Um, yeah, he was, he a, was, uh, he and, was and, funny. And he built real characters. Um, uh, um, they were grotesque in a way, um, but they were just believable enough as characters in their own right to make the joke sing. I saw Barry Humphreys in Melbourne doing the Dame Edna and it's, oh, it's got to be 20 years ago. And all I can say is, woe betide you if you turned up late. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyone who turned up late was just going to cop an absolute shellacking. Yeah, Vale the great Barry Humphreys. Uh, over to the United States now, Jack. Tucker Carlson has been given the old pink slip, don't come Monday. In fact, it was very much that. Uh, he was... Uh, the the the, uh, the the decision was made uh, by the CEO at Fox and Lachlan Murdoch that he should be moved on, and uh, they let him know about ten minutes later. And I think he's got his final show this week. Uh, no, he's already done his final show. Oh, is it? Um, okay, I, yeah, I, I yeah. wondered about no, that, that. that. That was the announcement. Um, you know, we, we've had a great relationship with Tucker, and he did his last show last Friday. Um, oh, okay. So I'm look. Yeah. So I, I, some of the reports I read, Wapo and New York Times were. Uh, the, the timing of them would be would be yep. uh, would be um, the issue because so, I was wondering how they were going to let him do his final show, having that he now had the knowledge no, that it was no, his final no, show. There, there will be no final show, and it must have been sacking day because Don Lemon has been given the push from CNN on the same. Yeah, day. that's true. That that actually happened too. And Susan Rice from the White House, I might add, it must have been a bad day. Oh yeah, all, all, the, all the bad things happen on Friday, Jack. But um, Tucker Carlson, what's a what's a lesson for? Well, the, the first thing is I'm going to say is that Tucker Carlson has decided to move on. He had a twenty million dollar a year, an estimated twenty million dollar a year salary. So I don't think we'll uh, we have to worry about him being too poor. But I do, I remember Bill O'Reilly leaving the network and making all sorts of comments about uh, how. Um, uh, how he was going to be an important part of the American conversation going forward. And, of course, that none of that happened. And I think a lot of these guys get caught up in their own bullshit, in their own publicity so much that they that they don't realise the power of the platform that they're, they're speaking on. And when they go, they simply disappear. And I, I'd be surprised oh, if no. the same thing didn't happen with Tucker. Charlie Rose, Matt Lauer, um, the list goes Ooh, on and man. on. Yeah, 
Yeah. <laughs> Basically, you can't even speak Matt Lauer's name now in NBC. Mm. But, but um, Char- Charlie Rose was a, a much more influential figure than Matt Lauer in, in politics and that sort of thing, and he's disappeared without trace. Yeah, and that's what happens. And Bill O'Reilly's another perfect example. I mean, and his behaviour was absolutely appalling, and, and they were right to give him a flick. Ultimately, they should have done it a bit earlier. But but Tucker Carlson, yes, he'll, uh, he'll be in a state of shock. And, and I reckon... What do you reckon, Jack? Uh, Laura Ingram? How long? How long do you reckon she's got at the network? Uh, Mario, uh, sorry, Maria uh, um, Bartiromo. Um, she might be flipping through the uh, the help wanted ads as well. I think there might be a bit of bloodletting. Seven hundred and eighty-seven US million dollars worth, um, and there's got to be some fairly unhappy executives at Sky. At, at, sorry, Fox News with that particularly around Carlson, because apparently his behaviour uh, off-screen was uh, was uh, was pretty ordinary as well. So goodbye, Tucker Carlson, and um, he might pop on pop up on one one American uh, news network, and he'll find that uh, he just has really zero influence or next to nothing. Meanwhile, Jack, where's 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 Don where's Don going to turn up? Oh, well, that, that, that's just it. They just disappear. They think they're... And, and it must come as a crippling blow to their psyches because they, they think that they've had... That they are influential and that they have influential voices. And they do, but they have that only by the power of the platform that they serve, by the network that they serve. And once that's withdrawn, they may as well be staying at home and yelling at the walls, which they probably will be. Mm. All right. Um, ah, big announcement due, we believe, uh, but predictable. Uh, big announcement due probably later this uh, later this day, Anzac Day 2023, or possibly early in uh, on the Wednesday morning, is that uh, Joe Biden will confirm that he is having another crack uh, and uh, he will run for re-election in 2024, Jack. No big, no big shock there, is it? No. No, no. Um, interesting, the, um, the Democratic National Committee have announced that they uh, will be supporting him. There will be no debates, no primary debates. No primary debates. Uh, well, I, I believe he has one challenger, Jack. That's uh, Bobby Jr. Bobby uh, Kennedy and Jr. And Williamson. Hey? Oh, no. Uh, yeah, he has, got, he has got one challenger. Yeah, um, Kennedy Jr. Kennedy Jr., the anti-vaxxer. Can't see that being a big problem for him. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> so, yes, it's as we've been predicting for some time that uh, that uh, Joe will run again. Uh, he's look he's looking quite good. We'll get to that in a minute. But let's let's uh, let's uh, obviously uh, uh, observe the obvious or discuss the obvious. He's already the oldest man ever to serve as president and would be 86 at the end of a full second term in December of 2029. Oh, there we go. Just uh, just like the old uh, Politburo of the 1970s, Jack. It is. Um, one other interesting thing from the DNC um, uh, uh, announcement was that they um, are putting together a national advisory board stocked with Democratic governors, senators and other political actors who will travel and speak on Biden's behalf during the coming campaign. So they're going to try and win with Joe staying in Delaware and the White House again like he did during COVID last time. America's um, granddad, Jack. 
Yeah. What that's, about that as a concept? That's, that's going to be the tactic. So Joe can't come himself, but he sent someone along in, in, in his stead. Mm. Well, let's, let's be honest. That's pretty much how the, the Reagan second term went, wasn't it? I mean, there had been the assassination attempt. There's, there's broad knowledge now that Reagan suffered from that event, uh, early onset dementia, uh, and uh, and that his practical capabilities uh, um, uh, were such that uh, basically the presidency became a presidency by committee. So it wouldn't be unusual. Um, it, would be, it would be unusual to, to, to run a campaign that way. That didn't happen yeah, to Reagan. Was, yeah, true enough. Yeah, that's true enough. Um, uh, well, Reagan... Reagan didn't have to do too much at all in, what are we talking about, 84? Yeah, 84. Uh, and I think swept 49 states. Yeah. Uh, don't know that it'll be that comprehensive uh, this time around with Joe. Uh, I don't think Joe will win 49, but um, it's looking more and more like that he will face up against Trump, um, who's got some problems of his own, of course, but... One take takeaway uh, message from the last week and even the last couple of weeks is that Ron DeSantis, who hasn't announced his candidacy yet, um, Ron DeSantis is uh, is dropping off uh, uh, dropping off uh, favour with Americans uh, pretty smartly. Um, that's not my reading of the polls at the moment. I think we're in a, a scissors rock paper um, situation. Um, that is that. Um, uh, Biden beats Trump, um, uh, Trump beats DeSantis, and DeSantis beats Biden. Um, and that's where I think we are. Um, uh, and my pick out of all of that is DeSantis will win because I think he was he's coming back against Trump. Um, the figures, the, the, the bounce that Trump got out of the um, uh, indictment um, seems to be dropping. Um, and uh, there's a lot of things that DeSantis has going for him. Last time Trump was able to wipe out the Republican opposition with a few um, uh, smart aleck jibes. I don't think um, DeSantis is anywhere near as vulnerable as Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz or Jeb Bush. Um, and, Ooh, I don't know uh, about that, Jack. The more I, I see, the less I like as a politician. Tracking really well. With one proviso, what he needs to do um, from here on in um, is to campaign not against Trump, but is to campaign as the person, I can beat Joe Biden. Well, that might well be true, Jack. I'm just still, I'm still seeing Trump lead. Um, yeah, I think there are all sorts of problems with with the Trump candidacy, uh, but the problem DeSantis, he's not a media guy, and he's going to have to learn to be a media guy because every time, and if not, he's just going to look awful because every time he he addresses media in Florida, it's often combative, and he does it rarely. So anyone who asks him a question, he re, he reacts pretty badly. You know, this whole idea that uh, someone should have the temerity to ask him a question in a presidential campaign, he's going to have to be a lot smarter than that. This sort of Disney World adventurism that we talked about last week where he jokingly said he was going to put a put a state prison uh, next to uh, Disney World in Kissimmee, uh, Central Florida. Uh, <clears throat> this, this is nutty stuff, and it, and it really will not engage middle America. It just won't. And, and, and that's where I think... You know, uh, people will go, well well, 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 we'll just have a look at Grandpa. We'll have a look at Grandpa, at least, you know, safe pair of hands, all that sort of stuff. 
I, I, mm. I just, I, I, I'm not convinced that DeSantis on the on the national stage is going to be very compelling because he's um, got uh, so much baggage. The Wall Street Journal has him plus three on uh, on Biden uh, nationwide, um, which at this stage of the campaign, when he's not really quite a national figure, is an amazing result. Um, he's my early tip to be a comfortable winner. I think I think if he gets into into a, a campaign, if he can beat Trump and gets into a campaign against Joe, he he will win comfortably. Oh, look, I can see him. I can see him being a bit more sprightly than Joe in a, in a campaign. What I'm saying about what the baggage is, book book bannings, um, this kind of nonsense about drag shows. I mean, all this kind of stuff that Middle America really are just going to be a bit appalled by. Book banning, particularly, not a good look. Mm. Um, uh, Well, here's my early tip: you can disagree if you like. Well, (coughs) the polling. Doesn't really doesn't really indicate. I mean, I know there's there's that DeSantis might win, but these are these are really a, these are a long way out with a bloke who really doesn't have a national uh, a, a, a national profile as yet. I mean, sort of people are starting to find out who he is, but I'm saying that the more they find out, the less likely they are to vote with him. And you, you've got to think of this in the term in through the prism of independent voters and what they want. And are they going to? And and we're talking about the ones who are going to win it are in Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, <coughs> Minnesota, uh, the Carolinas, particularly North Carolina, Virginia, um, and uh, and then in the Southwest. And I just don't see how his message is going to resonate. Yeah. Um, we'll just before we go, one one reason why I think he will beat Trump is that Trump won't have um, the um, uh, the staff and support that he's got, that he had in 2016, he won't be able to won't be able to attract good advisors. Um, whereas I think DeSantis will. Trump won't have a Kellyanne Conway working for him this time, and she was instrumental in his win in 2016. Oh, yeah, look, uh, uh, there, there's so much, there's so much to doubt uh, with uh, with the Trump campaign. Um, but you wonder if it's actually real. I mean, it's probably real in his mind, but um, his mind's got a few problems. Um, meanwhile, Jack, uh, in Sudan, very, very concerning news coming there that uh, we, we, we first raised last week uh, <coughs> with uh, um, uh, an escalation, really, since in the last week. Uh, of the conflict between the uh, Sudanese armed forces and the uh, and the rebel outfit, um, and uh, this is all about who gets to uh, gets to run the country. Yeah, I, I believe as of this morning there is a three day um, uh, uh, ceasefire. Yes, that's right. Um, so that um, uh, which will enable. Uh, a lot of expats, etc., to get out of the place, um, but it's hard to know where it's going. It's going to, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, Australia doesn't have an embassy in uh, Khartoum, but, but uh, there are known to be a couple of hundred Australians uh, in. Yeah, that's Sudan. one of those um, uh, one of those floating ambassadorships. You get um, uh, a, a few countries rolled into one over there. I think that's probably be Ethiopia and Sudan, Eritrea, etc. Yeah, um, <laughs> France has begun a rapid. Uh, evacuation operation citizens. Saudi Arabia has done the same. The Americans are doing the same. And that's ominous because it just looks like 
it's almost like you're closing the door and we're just going to let this let this there's no other solution but to let this play out yeah uh, really, really ugly. It would seem that the rebels have uh, a military strength over the Sudanese army. Um, uh, they, uh, <coughs> the the rebel army does have some support from Russia too, as well. Jack, I'm sticking their bibs in in uh, uh, in pretty ugly ways. The Russians um, and uh, and they are armed to the back teeth, and and really, you know, you know it's going to get worse before it gets better. There. <laughs> Yeah, it'll get ugly. United Kingdom, Jack Dominic Raab, uh, a, uh, a minister in uh, in the Conservative government over there. He's been around for a little while, hasn't he? Been around for a long while. He's been uh, give, given given the push because he's a bully, Jack. Um, yeah, for allegations of bullying, they appointed a, a, a KC to investigate this. Um, I just think this is a little bit odd. Um, uh, the idea that every time someone's unhappy with the boss, you appoint some eminent silk to investigate them and away they go. Um, did, did no one ever work with Kevin Rudd? Um, <laughs> well, there were no complaints. That's the difference. Well, there were lots of complaints. They just didn't put him in officially. Yeah, that's right. Well, okay. Yeah, we'll go with that. Um, hope Kevin's not listening. He's very busy at the moment. He's, I think he's in the White House as we speak. Um, uh, but yeah, um, uh, there are some fairly specific allegations of poor behaviour. There, they did, but they didn't amount to much. Um, he was a bit rude and arrogant. That, that, that's the, I actually read the thing, and and all it all it seems to me that he's accused of is sacking a couple of people who he didn't think were were, were doing the right thing and being rude and arrogant. Now, there's plenty of job bosses who are rude and arrogant. You know, I mean, how, how do you get through life to be a senior public servant, civil servant in the UK without coming across someone who's rude and arrogant? Sure enough. But is that sort of behaviour being accepted now? I mean, you know, it, it, it really can cause a problem. These these are, you know, what, what's happened to Rob here um, is is a bit of an indication of what can happen if your behaviour is poor. Is that a problem? I don't think that's a problem. Uh, well, I do. Yeah. What? So it's so if the more senior you are in 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 public service, so a politician and as a minister of the crown is in the business of public service. The more senior you get, the more likely you are to get away with it. I'm not uh, sure yeah, that's I think the so. way it works I think, I, think, I think that's right. Um, yeah, I, I don't think we should be as bad as Kevin Rudd keeping Angus Houston waiting in a corridor for three hours. He was working sort of on a children's book, Jack. Come on. Hmm? He was working on a children's book hmm. with Reese Muldoon. <laughs> it was stuff to do, Jack. Hmm. It was important priorities. God, I hope he's not listening. He will sue. He's tried to sue me before, Kevin. Um, mm. I'll tell that story one day. No, he's, he's, he's saving the world one American at a time now. <laughs> well, he's got the tennis court there. Jack's a beautiful building. The uh, uh, the uh, ambassador's uh, dwelling, absolutely superb. And the um, and, and the embassy itself is a substantial so he's well, moved on from cricket. Now he'll be now he'll be telling people he was there at the Davis Cup in 1946. Oh, you know he's a he's as big a fantasist as, as uh, George Santos. Uh, look, he did. I, I mean, I, I'm going to presume he's not listening. So I'll tell our listeners very very briefly. I wrote a piece uh, which is a bit of a bit of a bit of a wit and humour thing, talking about the mentality of senior political figures. 
And uh, I wrote uh, one very brief paragraph that uh, if Mark Latham, Bill Shorten and Kevin Rudd, uh, <coughs> um, uh, I said they may not be psychopaths, um, but they are ticking quite a few. I didn't actually use the word psychopaths, but I, I, I actually just said, simply said they were they were uh, probably checking off a few a few boxes in the O'Hare uh, checklist. How would we put it these days? They're psychopath adjacent. <laughs> that's that's my, that might have been an interpretation, but that was the the exact term that I used. That they were ticking a few boxes in the O'Hare checklist, which is the test for psychopathy. Uh, that's accepted in the United States and the UK. And, and and to be fair to Kevin, almost no one gets to the top of the greasy political pole um, without having some significant psychological oddities. Um, uh, True enough. You, 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 anyway, you, you, Mark Latham didn't pri- care. <laughs> Bill Shorten didn't care, but Kevin cared and uh, wrote a particularly uh, a particularly grating letter to the editor and uh, demanded apologies and so forth, reserved all his rights. <laughs> yeah, if, if you if you talk to the um, cabinet colleagues of our, the best prime minister of our lifetime, Bob Hawke, um, you will get some free psychiatric assessments of Bob as well. Yeah, well, there you go. I had to write a grovelling apology, Jack. Um, and uh, yes, accused of all manner of things by Kevin, who was by, by that stage in deep um, uh, Murdoch Royal Commission mode. Oh, okay. So <laughs> this is when, this is when he when he decided that his what that it wasn't his colleagues who couldn't stand him anymore, but it was all Rupert's fault that he got in the oh, flick. The stories I could tell about that. The um, uh, yes, um, um, without wanting to dwell on this too much, um, uh, having a royal commission into media would be a really bad idea. Okay, Jack in France, Jack, uh, you better not get bring out the pots and pans and bang away at them because it is banned. Yeah, look, um, look, France is such an odd country in a way, but it really amuses me. Um, people are marching up and down uh, the streets, particularly in rural France, banging pots and pans. Mm. Um, and um, Emperor, I'm sorry, uh, President uh, Macron um, uh, is enough of that. Mm. Um, and and he's uh, put a put a ban on people taking um, noise producing instruments to protests. Um, meanwhile, in Paris, um, if you get a chance, have a look at the French police dealing with um, the protesters on the streets of Paris. Um, uh, it would be an eye opener for all the people who wet their pants when some. A policeman in Australia grabs someone by the scruff of the neck. You know, <laughs> not um, they, lay into, they lay into them with the waddy. Um, they give them a thorough beating. Not, not uh, don't throw pain on me, please. Um, yeah, so look, you can understand their tempers have been a bit frayed there. Pots and pan banging has been banned. Uh, the vivacella presumably has been banned in uh, in, uh, in France. Uh, but this, of course, all it comes down to, I mean, look, the French, if they are upset, if they are upset by political decision-making, they will hit the streets. Yeah. And so there's a, there's a strong trade union element here, and this is all about their pension uh, pension age, which Macron ignored the parliament where he doesn't have a majority anymore and just uh, by some administrative means, I'm not quite sure how it works, but he just didn't put it through the parliament and, and it was just sort of, Government by decree, uh, like like the US presidents do with an executive order. Yeah, right. So so that has taken a, well. 
it hasn't. It's still a fairly generous pension scheme. I had a good look at it uh, a couple of weeks ago. It's a fairly generous pension scheme compared to Australia's, for example. Well, you should be lining up for one. You're a, you're a francophone. You could go there and pretend to be French. Oh, I don't think I'd qualify for that. I might, might have a look at the New Zealand pension, see what's going on there. Um, mm. They might be throwing a bit of money around, although I don't think so. Um, yeah, good luck. Good luck over there. Some, uh, I, I was going to write about this and did some research about it. Um, there are a number of cities, including Paris, um, where uh, where the, the protests have gone. Um, uh, you know, they, they were sort of hotbeds of protest, but it's actually broadened now uh, across the country in major cities throughout France. Um, Ultra processed foods, Jack. Yeah, Don't you this, love them? They taste nice. Uh, this this is what um, uh, this, this really struck me, and it's something that I've noticed myself. Is if you turn over and if it, all, a lot of this stuff that you buy these days, and it has a list of ingredients that I've never heard of on the back of it. Yeah, well, we we did have coating decoding done um, on Australian um, packaged goods, um, where you have to acknowledge what the um, Flavour agents and colouring agents would be because people have um, allergies to these things. But uh, it is <laughs> synthetic synthetic emulsifiers, low calorie sweeteners, um, stabilising gums, humectants, which are moisturising agents, flavour compounds, dyes, colour stabilisers, Carbonating agents, firming agents, and bulking and anti-bulking agents. What this means is that everything from chicken nuggets to ice cream can be made from the same base liquids and powders. What's in a chicken nugget, Jack? Do you ever had a look at it? Oh, I, I, I wouldn't care to know. Is the answer? They <laughs> did. But many years ago, this is you know, over ten years ago, so I'm not slagging off at uh, the McDonald's company. But there was a food test done of an American chicken nugget sold by. Uh, McDonald's, and it was found to have zero nutritional value, um, just nothing. God only knows what was in it. Um, but a lot of this, uh, this brings on a, another issue around chicken tenders and chicken nuggets and things like that, is that it's it comes from what's called reconstituted chicken. Do you know what a reconstituted chicken is, Jack? Yeah. It, they don't whack its head old. back on and... <laughs> it's it's all the bits off the floor that they weld together using well, chemicals. Sort of, this is also, yeah. but this is also true. Car- of- if you strip enough carcasses, you will end up with enough meat for a, for half a dozen yeah. nuggets. Well, they they steam it off the carcass is yeah. what they do with it. Um, but this is also true of the plant based meats and the nut milks and all that yeah. sort of stuff. Before you buy them, turn them over and look what's on the back. Mm. Um, uh, you know, um, you look at butter and it says milk. Sorry, cream and salt. That's what's in it. Um, uh, one of the commentators, one of the scientists, well, not always. Put this, <laughs> go on. <laughs> put this. Put this rather well. Uh, most unprocessed, um, ultra-processed food is not food. It's an industrially produced edible substance. Mm, that's yum. It does sound yum. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> It's an industrially produced edible substance. Have you ever tried any of the plant-based stuff, Jack? Uh, no. I've got no intention of poisoning myself. Well, I, I looked at some of the uh, plant and something that looked, to be fair, a number of my friends have said, well, I moved to a plant-based diet and I've never felt better. 
And that's probably all the carbonating agents. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so people have, you know, I know, and not, li- not likely to lie to me, but it generally means they've had a new partner come in in their lives and <laughs> pointed them in the right direction, uh, and they've gone on to plant-based diets, and they, go, they reckon they're going pretty well. I, I'd, I'd a 4 and 20, uh, plant-based 4 and 20, and went, well, I give it a try, and I just wasn't adventurous enough. And perhaps I should, just to see what they're like. But, yeah, uh, you know, I, I, I had a vegetarian phase in my life, um, uh, but I didn't eat plant-based anything. In fact, the worst vegetarian food in my view, and I was stuck in a, in a hospital that only served um, uh, plant-based foods for some months, um, and the food was inedible, and the worst of it was uh, the things that were mock meats of various kinds, just awful. Yeah. I had, to, uh, I had to have my son it. smuggle me in a burger and fries occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> well, at, at, the, at the Great Westmead Hospital, it's sugar-free, Jack. So they don't yeah. sell anything that's got sugar in it. And there's a large company that runs all the all the food contracting uh, on the ground floor uh, through the through the lobby and, and all that sort of stuff, and it's all sugar-free. And that didn't bother me at all. Um uh, you could go down and get a dimmy. You could go downstairs and get a hot dog. Those sorts of rubbish foods that I deeply enjoy. Um, but uh, it wasn't plant based. Good lord, good lord! You, you want to get you out of hospital, wouldn't it? Mm. Very. That's probably that's probably why they do it. Get you out. Um, mm. What's going on? Have you got a blue check? Have, have you got a blue check, Jackie? No, no, I'm not important enough. Well, it's it's. It's not about whether you're important. Well, it is and it isn't because some people apparently woke up on, I think, Sunday or was it Saturday, to find that they had blue ticks and that they hadn't paid for it because Elon, that uh, budding, well, that uh, you know, just incredible genius that we have there, has <laughs> had a huge week, actually. He's had one of his rockets blow up pretty much uh, before leaving orbit, uh, before, before leaving the atmosphere. And then uh, these all these blue che- blue checks come down, and a lot of people are very upset about having a blue check because it would seem to indicate that they've forked over the what was it eight US dollars per month mm. uh, to Elon when they haven't at all. And, and I saw a number of people, prominent persons, saying, "How do I get rid of my blue check?" Yeah, I thought that was very funny. Um, Elon himself tweeted. Um, uh, we started a save a celebrity fund to pay their eight dollars. We take this matter very seriously. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear, Elon. I don't know what he's up to. Um, are we moving to Mastodon? I've got a Mastodon account. Are you going? No. It's it's very people, good. People keep talking about leaving Twitter, but they won't. And for this, and for the reason that you identified earlier in this podcast, is the platform matters. Um, people want the want what goes with being famous on Twitter because the platform matters. Yeah, look, and that's and that's an historical thing. Uh, it, it 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 does still have the ability to influence, um, but. Um, uh, what I'd say, yes, with Mastodon, you you know that uh, I think I've got something like four followers on Mastodon, and I've got something like fourteen thousand on on Twitter. Um, so it's a it, it, it's a much smaller platform. Uh, the The issue with Twitter is um, if Zuckerberg could figure out a way 
it wouldn't be hard to figure out a way to to, to for Facebook to release a, a Twitter style short message, short short blog message service, but they can't figure out a way to make quit out of it, and that's the thing. That's yeah. The thing. Uh, there's been some terrific stuff on Twitter about the blue check thing. Um, some of my favourites were this website won't acknowledge my importance with a visual signifier, and so I'm leaving. Yeah, me too. Just waiting for an opportune time to announce it when I can get the most attention. <laughs> get the most likes. Um, yeah. <coughs> and, the, and the Twitter par- paradox, I don't want to pay for ver- verification, but I use the platform to promote my services and consolidate my brand. Piers Morgan's been very, very funny. He's paid the $8, uh, and he thinks um, that uh, uh, high-profile people who use exploit this platform every day for personal gain is so hypocritical if they won't pay the $8. And I agree with him. I don't agree with him at all. I mean, I think it's absolute rubbish. What what Elon Musk is actually asking you to do, and Zuckerberg hasn't got the the nads to do, is uh, is is simply say we are going to we are going to charge you for you to provide us with content, and that's the that's the issue. Who provides the content? And and it ain't Elon Musk, although he's amusing on on occasions and downright downright idiotic on others. Um, yeah, well, and I, I think he's following. I think he's charging for, to use the platform. I think that's fair enough. Oh, no, no, it's not. It's not fair enough. I mean, basically, you're providing the content. So, the, you know, if people withdraw the content, then it becomes nothing. That's 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 a simple. It's as simple as that. Yes, if enough it, of the platform with- can promote etc. because of its expansive size and expansive reach. But you are if, if enough content. of them withdraw their withdraw their content, um, I think he's betting that the platform's bigger than enough individuals, and he will probably win. That's my guess. No, well, anyway, he did drop two hundred billion last year, Jackson. I'm not entirely sure about that. Well, Meanwhile, in sport, like us, he can afford it. <laughs> I can't afford another year like it. Put it that way, or uh, we will. We really will all have to give him eight bucks a month just to keep just to keep him going. Just to keep food on the table. Uh, the Wallabies, Jack, they're, they're going to ditch the they're going to ditch the, uh, the the gold jumper. What's going on there? The, uh, when they the play jersey. Portugal, the unfortunately the head of the international rugby board, or whatever it's called, is colour blind. Um, uh, so he's got them all excited about um, uh, <laughs> looking after the colour blind people, so that they've got to have clash jerseys and all that sort of stuff. This has caused a big problem for the South Africans, who who will be told that they cannot wear their normal strip when they play countries who wear blue or black, say perhaps France or the All Blacks. So what are we talking about? The, 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 the boss of uh, of the international international body is he got? What, what, what is he? So red, red, green colourblind. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because the, 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 there are various types 10, of colourblindness. I think it's about ten percent of the male population have um, uh, some form of red, green. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, dissociation. I think is probably the best. Anyway, the, the guidelines say this now: if only one person watching on the sidelines of a of, of a school field is having trouble following some elements of the game due to an due, due to an avoidable kick clash, then rugby is letting them down. Yes, absolutely right. And you could flick. You could actually turn your colour down on your TV set. See, see if it works. Then it's a bit like watching. And it was very popular in the day. Pot black, Jack. It was huge on a Thursday night 
on the ABC and you were watching a game of snooker, you had no idea what was going on because there's red balls, there's green balls, there's yellow balls, etc. Blue, blue, black, pink. And um, had no idea what was, which one was which. You could guess, but you were often wrong. Yeah, well, I think I think the first time I saw um, sport on a colour television um, was the North Melbourne Collingwood um, uh, uh, drawn grand final in 1977. And until then, we coped quite well with black and white telly. Well, we were the last, you know, I mean, <laughs> thank you, successive governments, federal governments are not bringing it in and kowtowing to, kowtowing to the media, the media players who didn't want to invest in the technology. So we were about, oh, we were about 30 years behind, anyway, about 30 years behind the Americans and uh, probably a good 20 behind behind uh, the bombs. And, uh, and I think even New Zealand had coloured television before us. Absolute failure of government. Now, uh, on the weekend, uh, Jack, a long weekend of footy, so we've got uh, sort of split rounds. Um, Tigers were very good last night against Melbourne, but just, you know, just got so many injuries, they uh, they battled uh, when Melbourne came storming at them in the uh, second half. Uh, ended up going down by a few goals, but they weren't too bad. Carlton, very badly out of form, Jack, uh, beaten by a very well-coached side in St Kilda on the, on the weekend. And, of course, uh, the Pies v. the Bombers today. That's a big game, and there'll be 90,000 at, uh, at the Jeep. Yes, my five-year-old grandson's going for his, going to his first game today. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, big, big, big crowd at the G today. One of the great, uh, one of the great uh, rounds of uh, the AFL season. Uh, in the NRL, uh, the Rabbits uh, beat the Panthers, and Panthers are sort of having a bit of a... A faltering season so far. It's very difficult to figure out what you know, who the who the really good sides are. That was the a Rabbits cracking game, the Rabbits and the Panthers. I've got to say, hey, sorry, the Rabbits and the Panthers was a cracking game. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a very very good game. Eels are all over the shop form wise. The Dolphins came from the clouds to beat uh, the Titans, and uh, in a sort of Collingwood v Essendon uh, sort of rematch. Uh, well, a, a NRL version of that. Uh, the Roosters and the Dragons will play today. Should be a good game, although the Dragons have had a pretty poor season and the Roosters desperate for a win. Um, did you have a look at the test side, Jack? Uh, didn't put this in the test squad, I should say, to go to uh, for the uh, test championship against India in June and also uh, about two weeks later, I think three weeks later, they, uh, they start the Ashes series. It's actually two weeks. Uh, and start the Ashes series, and uh, included in that is uh, Dave from the suburbs, Warner. And there's been a bit of talk about why why they picked him, and and, and what are they going to do if he uh, gets skittled against India at uh, the Oval? Not Lords, I've been saying Lords, but it's actually at, at, at the Oval for the Test Championship. And if he gets skittled, gets knocked over quickly, they're going to have to bring someone in. That's the view. Is there anyone good enough? In that squad, um, I suppose. I suppose they could do what they did in India and um, uh, and put Travis push someone up the order. Usman Khawaja, yeah. I mean, look, both guys are in terrific form, I, I, and I just think probably it is Dave Warner's last hurrah. That that game, he gets runs, he'll be in, um, and uh, there will be some <coughs> trepidation about him facing the big blonde Stuart Broad, who really has had his measure in the last uh, last couple of. Uh, series. Um, it's a good squad though, I think Australia's got. I think it's well-rounded. 
uh, and and it gives uh, it gives a there's a fair bit of depth in there to cover any sort of holes that might emerge, um, and uh, seems to be picked for the series itself or the conditions themselves in England. And Jack, have you been watching the woes of Arsenal? Another draw, uh, and Man City just hunting them down. Uh, yeah, they got the staggers. They have got the staggers. the the uh, the uh, the the weight of expectation is really killing Man City. I think they're in it for three trophies, including the Premier League, the UEFA Cup, um, and just look like they're uh, they got them all over. Now I think it's about five days away before no, they it's play Wednesday. each it's Wednesday. other. Wednesday, I think. Is it Wednesday? Is that soon? Yep. Yeah, they play each other at uh, at Manchester, at Man City's home ground there, Etihad Stadium. So that'll be one to watch. It really will determine uh, uh, who wins the uh, who wins the Premier League. And it looks like Man City have got all the momentum while Arsenal are struggling with theirs. And I did see a bit of commentary around that saying if uh, Arsenal, because Arsenal have missed out on UEFA, they've missed out on all the cups. Uh, and uh, and if they come second, it would be a bit of a failed season, which is probably right. And Jack, what the feel-good story of the year is Wrexham AFC, who have uh, won their the, the National Football League, and they go into the English Football League now, where they can earn some money in media. Uh, got promoted, uh, finished first. Uh, very very tight competitions. What been one to watch? Uh, and, and and just hats off to um, uh, McElhenney and, and, and Reynolds, the uh, the two so-called Hollywood types who've uh, invested into invested in the club, uh, and they've done it. The, the way they've done it is impressive, and and they haven't sought to impose themselves or use it as a vehicle for their own self promotion. They've just weighed some money in. They've let the let they've let good management and um, uh, and uh, uh, well, a good football management prevail. Uh, they're building a, a new stand at the club. Uh, the club owes them a lot of money, but they've told them, don't worry about it. Um, you can pay us back later. And uh, it's all working, Jack. Mm. Uh, they're normally a money pit. Uh, a, uh, an Irish pal of mine from Sydney who's been very successful in business in Australia bought his old football club back in Dublin, the Shamrock Rovers, and I think he's paid for them twice because they went through the money a couple <laughs> of did. times. It did. I think a couple of the uh, Man United greats, in fact, three of them put together uh, some funds to uh, to get a, a club deep in trouble, I think, uh, in Northern England, and uh, have, uh, it has not worked out well. Uh, this one was right for to be taken over. It's the oldest club. It certainly has pretense to be the oldest club uh, in uh, the oldest uh, football club in uh, the UK, uh, a, a town that was on its knees, uh, a mining town, <clears throat> also involved in tanneries and all those sorts of things that are sort of yesterday's businesses. And their club was looking at oblivion really for the last decade or so and, and now they're on their way to the AFL. It means immediate injection of 1.5 million pounds, Jack, just from the... Just from the uh, the video stuff. They go into what used to be called the fourth division. Yeah, that's right. AFL, uh, AFL two, isn't it? The one, two, three. Yeah, yeah I think that's right. So yeah, uh, look, and they'll go right there. They've actually got blokes who are Premier League retirees who go, "I'll pay, I'll mm. play, and I'll donate my salary." 
Um, so there'll be no shortage of players, and it is not the end of this story. I'd be surprised if they're not thereabouts uh, next season when the whips are cracking in the, uh, I think, second division or maybe third. Um, all right. So, take us out, Jack. What's the Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, been up to? Oh, yes. Um, uh, uh, very big on the marathon. Uh, he, he, on Twitter the other day, I know Londoners will share my admiration for everyone running in the uh, London Marathon today. I applaud the tens of thousands of people who will take to the streets of our capital to challenge themselves and raise money for good causes. Good luck. This is the dreadful Sadiq Khan. Um, one of my favourite Twitter people, Burnside Not Trosh, re- responded, irresponsible encouraging people to run given the air pollution. We need an urgent tax to save marathon runners' lives. Happy St George's stuff. <laughs> but the, the Twitter winner for this week was the, the great Titania McGrath talking about the blue check thing. Um, by removing blue checks from important left-wing celebrities, Elon Musk is literally erasing their existence and committing digital genocide. This is a second Rwanda. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. All right. Well, that'll wrap us up for this week. Uh, and uh, thank you very much, Jack, for your time today. We did... I'm going to say thanks for getting me that job with News Limited because they took time out from their busy travails in the court system and paying out $750 million. They gave me a call and says, will you take that job making sure that Kamala Harris looks foolish once or twice a year, <laughs> you know, on the, on the video? And, uh, and I'm a fair man. Uh, we, we, we come to a financial arrangement. Um, and, and it takes, ooh, it takes two or three minutes a day for me to do that job. You know? uh, yes, that's that, that's right. Uh, not uh, always that easy running a media organisation, Jack. Um, uh, and uh, we found out, oh, gee, the executives around news, they must, they just, they must just hate Trump. They must hate him. So, uh, well, because he's, this is, we haven't really even discussed this, but this is this is where he, this is where Trump is most vulnerable for mine. January sixth and all the election trutherism uh, or, <clears throat> that, that surround it, and there will be hell to pay for this. Don't worry about that. Seven hundred and eighty million dollar U.S. settlements. Um, there, uh, we haven't heard the end of it. Put it that way. All right. Um, we do apologise to listener Ray because we didn't put his we didn't put his uh, his letter into us into this particular program. Just couldn't make it fit, Ray. We're going to have a bit of a chat about the Nats next week and how they're getting on uh, because you reckon they're going terribly. I'm not quite so sure about that, but we will whack that in there. And that's just a, 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 a that's just a bit of a needle for any one of our listeners to drop us a line. You can just hit us up on Twitter and let us know what you think of the show. That's all okay. And um, oh, you can hit me up on uh, my Twitter DMs, which are always open. And Jack, uh, you can be contacted on hkjack at substack.com, something like that. Uh, Hongkongjack.substack.com. You can have a look on there and you can find out why I think News Corp paid the money. Yes, I know you've got some theories on that, and uh, and that's probably about right. As I understand, it's got to do with a bit of share price as well. You can't have a long-sustained attack on the place, and another reason why there will be hell to pay um, when uh, when some of those people who have been pushing around a few lies, like Tucker, uh, have to account for themselves. 
including Donald Trump. And we'll talk to you later, uh, in fact, next week, uh, listeners, and thanks once again for listening. See ya.